morning we welcome the Reverend Dr. Jessica Williams to join us in a conversation about what it means to be a faithful disciple. And before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about Jessica. She is a pastor and theological educator who currently serves as the Director of Ministry Education at the Kairos Center. Jessica has pastored churches in New York, Iowa, and Kansas, and was on staff at Central Seminary in the Kansas City area. That's where I went to seminary. She holds a bachelor's in psychology, family studies, and Christian studies, a master of divinity from Union Theological Seminary, a master's of science and social work from Columbia University, and a PhD in adult learning and leadership with certificates in social justice education and qualitative research methods from Kansas State University. Her dissertation was titled, It's God's Work, a multiple case study of the use of the Bible in the movement to end poverty led by the poor. She is also a mother to a beautiful little human named Phoenix, who's back there in the corner there. And she is always welcome in my house because she makes the most amazing gluten-free desserts. Makes Matt very, very happy. So before we get started in our conversation, I want you to see a little bit about the kind of work that Jessica is doing. Drawing on the power of religions and human rights, the Cairo Center works to raise up generations of religious and community leaders committed to the unity and organization of the poor as the leading social force in the building of a broad transformative movement to end poverty. Kairos is an ancient word. It means it's time for a great change. There's a great trouble in the land. Do you feel it? In history, when the world is unsettled, Kairos time calls for bold, imaginative action by those compelled to make change. We've got to set it right again. We are living in a Kairos moment, and we are compelled to end systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, militarism, and the false narrative of religious nationalism. Today's crises are many, economic, political, social, and spiritual, because and despite it all, poor and dispossessed people are rising up for change. The Cairo Center is a catalyst to identify, develop, and unite leaders to tackle the problems of our day together. We are a center for movement strategy, coordination, and education among the poor across all lines of division. We are organizers, clergy, artists, students, workers, on welfare, off welfare, people of faith and conscience, people of spirit, and people of strategy. We are poor, have been poor, might one day be poor. We are the least of these which is the most of us. We this is a reading from Isaiah 58, verse 6 through 12. Isn't this the fast I chose 
releasing the wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your own family? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and you will be healed quickly. Your own righteousness will walk before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and God will say, I'm here. If you remove the rogue from among you, the finger pointing, the wicked speech, if you open your heart to the hungry and provide abundantly for those who are afflicted, your light will shine in the darkness and your gloom will be like the noon. The Lord will guide you continually and provide for you, even in parched places. He will rescue your bones. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water that won't run dry. They will rebuild ancient ruins on your account, and the foundations of generations past you will restore. You will be called mender of broken walls, restorer of livable streets. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being with us here at Colonial Church this morning. It's a real pleasure. It is a pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah. Aaron, good to see you this morning. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so we're going to have just a short conversation, a short discussion this morning. And the first question that I have, you know, the, the series title for today, the title is um, Faithful Disciples, Being a Faithful Disciple. So, Jessica, what does it mean to you to be a faithful disciple? Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you so much for having me here today. I worship at um, Prairie Baptist Church, not too far away, and looks a lot like this church, and so just feel right at home here, and I appreciate that. So thank you for allowing me and my family to worship with you this morning. So to me, um, when I think about being a faithful disciple, so if a disciple is, is someone who follows um, the, the teachings um, of their leader, and, and to be faithful to that mean, means to be loyal and steadfast in that. Um, to me, being, being called to be a faithful disciple of Jesus means to, um, to strive to live out the kind of justice that, that Jesus taught about and worked for in his life and ministry. A lot of the um, parables that Jesus taught, the teachings that we have, um, I didn't necessarily learn this as a child growing up in the church, but all of those were under the context of uh, the Roman Empire and the Roman occupation. And so a lot, of, um, a lot of the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus were for um, the poor and dispossessed as they were um, within this, this context of oppression under the Roman Empire. And so to me, um, being a faithful disciple of Jesus means seeking after that kind of justice. Um, and in our context today, I just have a little quote I want to share if I can um, from uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, this is from his uh, sermon at the Riverside Church on April 4th, 1967. And I think this exemplifies um, a call to, to be a faithful disciple. He said, true compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It is not haphazard and superficial. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. 
And I think that true compassion um, is what Jesus exemplified and taught his disciples and, and what we're called to, to be faithful disciples. Aaron, how would you respond to that faithful disciple? I think for, for me, the, the, it is, um, it's knowing, first of all, who you're following, too. And it's starting with that idea that, for me, for me as a person who's on, on a Christian path, it's saying that there's those, um, every day I get up and I recommit myself to living a certain way, living in Jesus' way. And there are certain characteristics about that. There are certain values at the core of that. You hear them, you know, I, I say them in this church community often. There are values of inclusivity, values of nonviolence, compassion, mercy, and justice. All of those things. And so when I, when I go through my life and I, and I think about the things that I'm doing, how am I interacting with people? Am I operating from a set those values? And those are what guide me in my daily life. And so uh, to me, that's the, the faithful part of that path. Thank you. I really appreciated uh, both of your perspectives on faithful disciple. And I'm, I'm curious, as we, as we think about this in the context of the scripture reading that we just heard, um, this is one of my favorite scripture readings and texts. texts excuse me. Um, in this text, we're hearing from, from the writer who's, who's talking about a fast that God, excuse me, this is kind of being goofy, uh, that, a fast that, that God approves of, right? So thank you. Oh, that, that'll help. I'll share about that. That helps a lot. So a, a fast that God approves of. So there's this idea that maybe there was a way of that the people were trying to um, honor uh, God, um, and, and God is saying, no, no, let's try this. Let's try this in a different way. So I'm curious, what does this fast have to do with, with anything? How, how might this apply to being a faithful disciple? And what does this text from Isaiah say to you? Yeah, I really appreciated the, uh, the message that um, happened on the stairs earlier, and um, one of, the, one of the lines or one of the, the lessons that I took from that, which I think really encapsulates this text, is um, that, that our worship should lead us to go out and act, to go out of the doors of the church to act. And, and I think that this is what this text from Isaiah is about. And if we, if we read a little um, earlier in the text of Isaiah 58, what the writer is talking about there, too, is, uh, is both that I think this text is about how we live our lives individually, but also how we live our lives collectively. Uh, this text was a message to the nation. Um, and so if we think about that in the context of uh, our call to be faithful disciples, it's, kind of, it's both how we, how we live every day as a person, um, but it's also how we structure our society um, in a way that, um, that brings about justice and true compassion. Um, and that from this text in Isaiah where um, um, that, that our, our worship, um, the most valuable part of our worship is how we live that out in terms of how we're structuring our society so that everybody's needs are met. So when I read this, I was thinking about how many of you fast? Wow, okay, I thought some of you might be on the fasting, like the diet, diet fasting craze, uh, craze. So I think one of the things about this text for me is, is that most of us don't even know what a basic fast is really, a lot, is really like. And so to say, this is not the fast I choose, because the people that Isaiah is writing this to, fasting was part of how they, part of their spiritual disciplines. And it's no longer the case for many of us. But I think that there's a power in even uh, going back and understanding that 
I, here's the thing I would encourage you to do. Try a fast. You know, if, if your health allows you to do this, try a fast. Because one of the, the reasons why it has been a spiritual practice for such a long time is, is that you realize very quickly how your strength is tied to constantly being fed. And when you're not, you get weak quickly. Only until you understand that can you understand what it truly means to be hungry in our cities today. And so I think in some ways this text is almost out of touch with us because I don't think we can get the, he's talking to people that you know, knew what it was to fast. I think it's something that we need to relearn how dependent we are every day on God's presence in us. So that's kind of, I kind of started from uh, uh, even an earlier point in that a little bit. Thank you for that, Aaron. Um, a lot of the words in Isaiah are kind of self-explanatory. Um, you know, share your bread with the hungry, uh, care for the homeless and care for the poor, things that we hear today. But we are still struggling many thousands of years after these words from Isaiah were written. We've probably always been struggling um, with these issues of, of how to support one another. And so my question is, why do we struggle so much to care for one another. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to, to the message that happened here because that prayer uh, really touched me, um, that, that we hold on to fear, we hold on to greed, um, we hold on to, to these things that, um, that keep us from, from living out that true compassion, um, from structuring society in a way that meets the needs of all people. Um, and yeah, for centuries. Um, and also thinking about that within the context of in our in 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 the Bible um, throughout the Bible there um, the d various communities that were struggling toward um, living out justice and true compassion in the way that King talks about it um, were also a lot of them under under occupation from various kinds of of empires and so when we think about our society today. Um, we can, we can think about, and we named very beautifully in, in the beginning of worship today, just the many different systems that, um, that continue to keep people oppressed um, and poor, that, that enable racism and, and all of these other things. Um, and so a lot of it is, is embedded into some of these systems that, that are set up within our society. Um, and, and yet, we're also called in this prayer to, you know, at, to let go of these, these things and, and walk in the way as a, a faithful disciple and living out true compassion and, and mercy and justice. You know, I think one of the things that has happened in, in, in our iteration, in our time, is that we're so separate from one another. Yeah. Is that if you look around the room even, we, we design our cities in a way that we don't see the poor. We, we make sure that we, we've got zoning laws. We have all, way, all sorts of ways that we keep one another separate from one another so we don't see our neighbors who are in need. And as long as we don't see that, we can pretend that it's not a thing. It's not, a, it's not an issue. And I think one of the things about church, church calls me. It was like, you know, I was hearing about, you know, the kids. When they go down, you serve a meal on the plaza. Serving a meal on the plaza is not going to end hunger in Kansas City. Promise you that. But what it does is it puts you in a place where you are going to be face to face with somebody who does not have a roof or may not have a roof over their head that night. And you get to look at that person and realize that person 
is your neighbor. That person is with you on the journey and don't allow the separation to come out. It's a way that each one of us, we push back against that. And so to me, I think that's one of the things that is very unique about our time is that we're not forced to come face to face. Uh, we divide ourselves out really well. And I don't, know how you, I don't know how to fix that, but I do know that church calls us to something more. Jessica, you have worked with the Poor People's Campaign here in Kansas uh, and the Cairo Center. And some of the, I would maybe most of the work that you are doing, um, you prioritize the, the people who are experiencing the injustice and the inequality. And you ask them to be a, to take a major role in, in the work. And so I'm wondering if you can, if you have a story or, or someone that comes to mind who's sort of doing that work and, and also why do, why do you do that? Why do you start from, from, from that angle? Yeah. Yeah, so in, with the Cairo Center, which is part of this uh, larger network and movement to end poverty led by the poor, um, we, in our study of history, um, as we look at social movements that um, have created lasting change in this country and beyond, uh, most of those were led by those who were most affected by the injustices that um, were, they were seeking to resolve, um, mostly because they have the least stake in the status quo. Um, some of us who have um, some stake in the status quo, um, uh, leadership that lifts from the bottom so everybody rises helps to push us and challenge us a little bit more. Um, I want to, again, call on a quote from Dr. King. So as Michael was saying, um, the Cairo Center is one of the co-anchor organizations for the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Um, the Poor People's Campaign today um, builds on the, the legacy and the movement that Dr. King and other so, um, civil rights leaders began um, in the late 1960s. Um, King was, was murdered in April of 1968, and the Poor People's Campaign was set to, to launch the next month in D.C. There was still an encampment in D.C., and, and the campaign went on. We don't hear as much about it. Um, but in planning for that Poor People's Campaign, um, at a, a meeting, um, Dr. King said this, the dispossessed of this nation, the poor, both white and Negro, live in a cruelly unjust society. They must organize a revolution against that injustice, not against the, the lives of the persons who are their fellow citizens, but against the structures through which society is refusing to take means which have been called for and which are at hand to lift the load of poverty. And here's where we get to the answer to this question. The only real revolutionary, people say, is a man who has nothing to lose. There are millions of poor people in this country who have very little or even nothing to lose. If they can be helped to take action together, they will do so with a freedom and a power that will be a new and unsettling force in our complacent national life. So those who have very little or even nothing to lose help to... Um, it, and especially in our study of, of social movements that have been successful, those led by those who have very little or nothing to lose in that status quo um, help to uh, both in their, in their individual leadership but also as a leading social force for change help to push us in the direction that we need to go because they're the only ones that can say when their pain has been alleviated. Thank you. As we sort of wrap up our, our conversation this morning, I want to ask you, um, you know, we're, we're sitting in the pews and we're sort of listening to all of this and, 
and maybe we're wondering, okay, what can I do? How can I respond? Um, would you take a couple minutes maybe and tell us about the work you're doing, the work of the Cairo Center, um, how people might be able to get connected, that kind of thing? I would love to, yeah. Yeah, so the, um, a number of different ways to, to get connected. Um, you know, part of building this movement is doing exactly what you were talking about, Erin, about, um, you know, there's a lot of lines and divisions that have been drawn in our society to keep us separated from one another, to, to prevent the unity of the poor and dispossessed with other sectors of society. Um, lines that have been drawn around race, um, class, religion, sexuality, gender, you know, so many things to keep us divided. As we're trying to build a movement to end poverty led by the poor, one of the things that we're trying to do is break down those divisions and really bring people together and unite people. And we do that in a number of different ways. Um, there's a number of different vehicles and, and ways that people can be involved in doing that. Um, the Poor People's Campaign um, nationally has uh, different organizing um, groups that lead in different states. So we have a, a Poor People's Campaign in Kansas um, that Michael's been in leadership of, um, I'm serving in leadership of now. Um, and so one way is to, to get involved with, with the Poor People's Campaign in Kansas. Um, another way through the Cairo Center, um, we have built a um, an online uh, worshiping community together that both worships together and also cares for one another, prays for one another, um, and, and cares for one another's immediate needs. And we worship together on Sunday evenings online um, at uh, 5 p.m. Central Time. It's both broadcast through Facebook Live, but also in, in um, our virtual sanctuary of the Zoom room. And that's one place where we build community across these lines that divide us. We have poor and low-income leaders, um, low-wage workers, and um, people on welfare from, and, and clergy and uh, other community leaders from across the country that gather together for that time of worship. And we learn together and hear about these issues um, and the ways that people are, are raising up and joining hands with one another to combat these issues and, and to bring justice in their communities. And similarly, um, one of my responsibilities at the Cairo Center is to build out some programs for churches um, and congregations to be involved in that work with us. Um, we're launching a program called We Cry Justice Congregations that is based on a book that many of the leaders that are part of the, the Kairos movement and the movement to end poverty have written together uh, called We Cry Justice, Reading the Bible with the Poor People's Campaign. And so we'll be launching a program very soon um, to have congregations go through a time of study and learning of those chapters, but also with the, the, the poor and low income leaders who wrote those chapters and, and the work that they're doing around the country. And similarly, um, we're launching a seminary of the poor that will be for folks from all different backgrounds to learn together about um, these issues of poverty and systemic racism, militarism, ecological devastation, and the distorted moral narratives that uphold each of those. And um, so soon we'll be launching some classes um, that can be taken online um, and in community with one another as we, as we learn together, um, building a movement, um, both through learning, through worship, and through caring for one another, um, and following the, the leadership of those most affected. Thank you. Jessica, it's really been great to have you with us this morning. I really am, am so grateful for, for your leadership and for all of the work that you do and the work of the Cairo Center. Thank you. Um, becoming a faithful disciple isn't about following all of the right rules or believing all of the right things. It's not even about coming to church every Sunday, even though I'm glad to see all of you here. 
It's about taking the time to consider the least of those among us, the poor, the ostracized, the oppressed. It's about a willingness to learn and to be engaged, even when it's hard. It's about honoring God, finding ways to honor God, and to care for what God has created. So I invite us now to stand as we sing our next hymn, Come All Christians Be Committed.